You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. We did it. We reached the end of our summer road trip. Congratulations. It's been a 13-week-long sermon series that we've been in following the Apostle Paul. I've only had to threaten to turn the car around twice. Once was this morning, so... Uh, it's, it's not been bad. You guys have been going to the bathroom before you come in, so we haven't had to take any, you know, turns off and take potty breaks and all that. Um, I just want to warn you, this is a really boring end to our series. I, I, I have prayed all morning that you will just stay awake uh, <laughs> during this, and you're going to know why in a minute. Okay. Um, if you're just jumping in, the entire series is on our website or on YouTube. You could try to catch up. You're going to have to binge watch because, again, it's 13 weeks because uh, Paul covered like uh, uh, 10,000 miles on, on his trip around. And so we've gone to lots of cities and countries and lots of stuff has happened. That's why it's been kind of a longer series. Um, and as he's gone on three different sort of segments, right, three different road trips, Uh, He's just been spreading the gospel, the good news about who is Jesus and what has he done and what does that mean for everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. What what is the significance of Jesus for their life? And as he's done that, churches have sprung up and he's had to pour into leaders and kind of start structuring these churches. And um, it's just been been a crazy time. So for the last time, I present to you the map, all right? (laughs) The map. And this is a different map. It's a different one. This actually has all three journeys on it in different colors there. Actually has a fourth journey that we're not going to get to. If you want to continue on and read um, from, from where we're going to leave today, Paul goes back to Jerusalem, ends up going all the way across the sea on that red line, all the way up to Rome. Uh, to, um, basically, he's been arrested and, and he, he's on trial. Um, but you can see all of the different cities and, and countries that Paul has gone through. It's just like, it's just been an epic road trip. Um, it, it really has, but it all, it hasn't all been fun and games, right? When you, we think road trip, we're like, woohoo, you know, what music playlist are we going to have and what snacks are we going to eat, right? You, we even had a week where we handed out snacks. It was the week I wasn't here. It was kind of a bummer. I should have planned that better. Uh, but like road trips are fun, right? I mean, it's been fun, but make no mistake, every stop that Paul has made, he's faced scrutiny, resistance, even like severe persecution. It has not been all fun and games for Paul. In fact, listen to how he describes this trip. Okay, this is, this is him talking about the road trip, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. It was believed that 40 would kill a man. So he says, five times, or yeah, five times I've been beaten with this thing, 39 strikes. Three times I was beaten with rods, Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. We've seen that, haven't we? 
I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I think he's been in danger. Right? I have labored, right? I've worked really, really hard and toiled and have often gone without sleep. How, how many of us would that have been the worst part? We love our sleep. Right? You're like, that's why I come to the 10 o'clock, Pastor. Right? Okay. <laughs> I have known hunger. Ooh, ooh, now we're getting there. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. If you had to give up sleep or food, which one? <laughs> we got a bunch of eating people. All right. We got a bunch of. All right. You're like, donuts next week. Yeah. I've been cold and naked. I'm not going to ask a question about that one. Verse 28, besides everything else. So, the, like, so that's all the external stuff he's had to deal with. Then on verse 28, besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. That's the internal weight he's been carrying. Worrying about all of these people. Right? Worrying about where they're at with God. Worrying about how the church is doing after he leaves. Worrying about false teachers coming in and leading them astray. I mean, He's carrying all that internal weight and pressure, and he's also dealing with all these external things, getting beaten, getting shipwrecked, losing sleep, being hungry. I did not see that on the travel brochure. I did not ask you when we said, hey, we're gonna go on a summer road trip. I didn't tell you about this. How many, how many of you would sign up for the trip if you'd known you'd be beaten, shipwrecked, naked, and hungry? Probably not. Those are not the kind of adventures you hope for when you set out on a road trip. That's not the kind of stuff when you get home that you post on Instagram or that you put in the scrapbook and remember. I want to remember for years and years and years that day that we didn't get to sleep or have any food. It'll be great. We'll look back on it fondly. I think Paul, though, I think Paul expected it. I think he knew this is what he was signing up for. And the reason I say that is because in Acts chapter 9, okay, think way back to the first week of this series, 13 weeks ago, we talked about how Paul went from being a persecutor of Christians to being persecuted, right? He, he hated Christians. And then he has this dramatic encounter with Jesus, and it changes his life, and he decides to become essentially a, a herald for Jesus, a missionary for Jesus. And after he's blinded, he's got to go to the early Christians, to the disciples, and they're scared of him. They think that he's gonna do bad things to them because that's what he's been doing. And there's a man named Ananias who kind of brokers their relationship. God shows up to Ananias and tells him about Paul and has him lead Paul to the disciples. But what does God say? Right, Acts chapter nine, God says to Ananias, I will show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. From the very beginning, Paul was signing up for this. And we have 13 letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, most of them to churches that he started on this journey, some of them to, to individuals. And many of those letters are actually written from inside prison. Again, how many of us are signing up for that? Jail time, let's do it. And yet I want you to listen to Paul's attitude. Listen to how he thought about his hardships. This is from the book of Philippians, chapter one, verse 12. It says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me 
has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He wrote that from prison. I don't know if you've read Philippians. It has some of the the most catchy, like well-known scriptures. Um, It's in that same letter where he says this, where he says things like, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Uh, Philippians is where he says, do not be anxious about anything. 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's Philippians? That's the letter Paul writes from where? Jail. Prison. I tell you what, I may not have signed up for this trip had I known what hardship were gonna await me, but I would love to sign up to become the man that Paul became on that trip. And I think it begs the question of whether or not you and I can have one without the other. Can we become the kind of people that God wants us to be? Can, he, can we be shaped into the people that God has in mind if we constantly run from hard things? If we always look to escape hardship? I don't think so. I, I mean, and I'm not suggesting that you and I should wake up in the morning and say, man, I'm gonna look for some suffering today. It's gonna be awesome, Right? <laughs> Or man, that brother over there needs to grow in the Lord. I'm gonna cause him to suffer. You know, I'm gonna be a pain in his butt. You know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you should make things more difficult for yourself or for other people. I am suggesting there are some things it seems that God can only do in our life through suffering, through hardship. And the, the hard part about that is you and I, we live in a culture where the end goal of every day is to be happy. That is... That is like the mantra, isn't it? Like whatever makes you happy. Are you happy? I'm happy for you. If you're you're happy, I'm happy. I think Paul would challenge us on this because we tend to think that happiness and suffering can't go together. How How do we make sure that we're happy? We avoid hardship. We avoid suffering. I think Paul would say, ah, actually, I think there's a way to be even more than happy. I think there's a way to find this thing called joy. And I think you can have it in spite of suffering and in the middle of suffering and maybe even because of suffering. And this is, this wrecks our, this like runs against the grain of everything in our world today. And maybe we'll get more into this in our next series. After this fall, we're going to do, like I said, a series on the fruits of the spirit. One of those being joy. And I think we're going to come back to this and talk about how Paul mentions joy. But we got to finish Acts chapter 20. Stop talking to me. I got to get going. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Acts 20. You've got a Bible. Open up to the New Testament. Go past all the guys, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You'll hit Acts. Acts chapter 20. If you've got the Bible app, click on events. It's always there. Did you know you can add notes to that in the Bible app? You can add notes. You can save it for later. You can share it online. Um, All kinds of cool tools, okay? Acts chapter 20. Like I said, not, not the most exciting end to our series. 
It says, when the uproar had ended, remember there was a riot last chapter. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he stayed for three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus, uh, Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. I have no idea if I just pronounced all those right. Um, so... Say it fast and with confidence. That is the one. Okay. Uh, these men, all these guys that I just said, these men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. Uh, but we sailed from Philippi after the festival on unleavened bread and five days later joined the others at Troas where we stayed seven days. Wow. It's exciting. This is, uh, this is right up there with the, the begots. That's a Bible joke. If you don't know what the begots are, it's like he begot so-and-so and they had so-and-so. It's the genealogies, right, that you don't know are there because you just skip them. You're like, what's the next thing? This is kind of that way. Um, this is essentially a travel log, right? And it's, it's telling us like where Paul went and who was with him, like uh, what, what people were traveling, his companions. Um, and I think for us, it's just a great reminder this morning that though this was written 2,000 years ago, this journey happened in real time and in real places with real people. In fact, even today, and we've shown pictures, right, throughout this series, even today, you can go to the Mediterranean, you can go to Ephesus, you can go to Corinth, you can see these cities for yourselves, you can see inscriptions that back up what the Bible said. Um, there, there's just so much there. And did you know that's not true of every religion, Right? Not every religion is that interested in grounding its teachings in real places, in real time, in history and geography. Um, that, it's not totally unique to Christianity, but it's, it's not to the level that Christianity cares about that. And so if you've never explored that, that would be an interesting thing for you to check out. You know, why, how do other religions deal with you know, history and geography and these things versus Christianity? Okay, but this is a travel log. Now let's, let's keep going because... We're gonna end, this is like my all-time favorite story in Scripture. And as a preacher, this is as good as it gets, okay? Verse 7. I'm going to try not to laugh through it. It's going to be a struggle. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting, and seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sitting, sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. <laughs> when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. <laughs> Have you heard this story? This is like one, like what? <laughs> Paul went down, threw himself on top of the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. 
this is why you don't fall asleep while I preach. <laughs> right? This is why a couple years ago we bought and installed a defibrillator out here. In case I get a little long-winded and we got to shock somebody back to life. Uh, I am not the best preacher in the world, but I can claim something that Paul can't. I have never preached a guy to death, right? I've never done this. There's a lot of things Paul's done that I haven't done, but I got him on this one, right? Uh, He's leaving the next day, and so apparently he's just got a lot that he needs to to say, um, a lot that he wants them to get. And so they show up in this house, there's a crowd there, and at midnight, he's been talking for hours, at midnight, poor you, poor you Tikis has had enough, right? The eyes start to get a little heavy, the coffee's run out, and he closes his eyes, probably just thinking, just for a minute, you ever done that? Like, I'm just gonna, just gonna close my eyes for a minute. And next thing you wake up, it's like three hours later. He's probably just thinking, Paul won't notice, I'm up in the window, no one will see me. It's like those of you who sleep in the back that think I can't see you, <laughs> right? Closes his eyes for a minute, And the next thing you know, he's being resurrected. (laughs) The craziest part of the story, though, is not that a guy dies. It's, It's not even that Paul raises him back to life. For me, as a as a pastor, the the craziest part is he goes back into the house and decides, I think I got a few more hours in me. (laughs) Right? Goes back. To preach, it's like, take a hint, Paul. Read the room. Guys are dying. It's time to wrap it up. Luke, the author, right? Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he even kind of jabs at Paul. He says, Paul talked on and on. That's not a compliment if you're a pastor, right? If I go home after the service and say, hey, babe, what do you think of that sermon? She's like, you went on and on. That's not like, great job, Mike. That's like, dude, that was really long. You could have shortened that by a few chapters. Um, it's amazing. He just, he keeps going. Uh, you know what's also amazing? The people wanted more. He wasn't just talking to himself. I think Paul would have stopped, right? If he went back into the house and everybody's like, we got things to do. It's just amazing to me. Paul talks until midnight and they're just, they're just soaking it up. A guy falls, is raised back to life, which probably would make you want to listen, I think. Like, whoa, okay, we're with you. And he goes back to speaking and says they stayed until daylight, just listening and learning. I imagine them having notes out, right? A journal or something and just, just soaking it up. They had such a hunger for God and the things of God, that they weren't going anywhere. Probably the number one thing I've heard um, during this series from several of you is, wow, it's, it's amazing how much the Bible connects to today. Like this was written 2,000 years ago and Paul's journeying around all these places that don't even exist anymore. And it's amazing how this connects to where we're at and the things we're experiencing today in our world. And I would agree with that. That's something that I've noticed too as we've gone through this. But we shouldn't be too surprised by that, right? The Bible is not just another book. It's not just another adventure series. 
uh, it is the inspired word of God. It is, Timothy says it is God breathed. Um, Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, the word is living and active, meaning it is not just prints and words on a page. And, and the authors who, ins- who were inspired by the Holy Spirit, that same spirit inspires you and me and opens our hearts and minds when we read it. All right, sometimes we forget about that when we talk about the inspiration of Scripture theologically. Yes, the Bible was inspired. The Holy Spirit was speaking to the men who wrote it. But the Holy Spirit, now the, the theological term is illuminates. Right? The Spirit illuminates the text. It's why you can read the Bible and you can come to a passage that you've read a dozen times and all of a sudden you see something else and you're like, whoa, I never noticed that. Or wow, that verse hits different today. God is, God is touching something different in my life. It's because it's not only inspired, but it continues to be inspiring. Um, on, the, on Wednesday night, I, I stopped by the church about once a quarter. I have to check in on our men's group just to make sure they're not doing anything weird. Uh, and they have donuts, so <laughs> Pastor Perk. Um, and if you're looking for a group, by the way, yeah, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, there's a men's group that meets here. Uh, there's going to be a new men's group that's at 6.30 a.m. Uh, during the week. For those of you who are like, I can't do nights, maybe you can jump into the morning one. Um, but the, the devotional that day was all about the power of Scripture and, and getting into Scripture. And we were talking about our habits, our routines, what does it look like when we read the Bible. And then we talked about, the question was, what obstacles, right, what things keep you from engaging the Bible? And the most common things given was just busyness, right? I think we can all agree on that one. Uh, and then the other one was like distraction. Just there's too many distractions. Um, whether, you know, it's the phone, the technology, the kids, the job, the what, you know, it's hard to shut my mind off and just being distracted, being scatterbrained, right? And we all have those roadblocks. Um, almost every Christian I've ever met would say, you know, yeah, I know I should really get in the Bible more. In fact, I even heard that on Wednesday night, guys saying like, I know I need to and I should. The question is, is how often is, is often enough? How often is often enough? I mean, ideally, you're not gonna be shocked by this. I would say every day, uh, all day, actually, would be awesome. Now, I'm a little privileged in that. It's literally my job to stay in the Bible, <laughs> Like, I could tell, you can't pull this off. I can. You can ask me to meet with you, and I could say, I'm sorry, I have a date with God at that point. I'm reading the Bible. And you have to just go, well, he's my pastor. I guess it's okay. You try that on somebody else, it may not work for you. They might be like, what are you talking about? We got to get coffee, you know? Um, And yet, I will tell you, as privileged as my schedule is and my job description is, I have roadblocks. I, I easily get distracted when I'm trying to read the Bible, I have young children at home. Um, I no longer use the Bible app other than to pull up what the scripture is for the day because if I actually try to read it from my phone, um, pretty soon I'm doing another mock draft in fantasy football. Um, I, I get that. Um, honestly, one of the biggest hazards for pastors is we can fall into the trap of only reading the Bible when we need to get a word for you. Like, I got a sermon every Sunday. I don't know if you know that. Sunday comes every week. And there's a lot of pressure with that. And if I'm not careful, I can only read the Bible to get a sermon out of it, not to meet with God for me personally. 
That's a big hazard of the job. And so I have to stay on guard for some of these obstacles. And so how often should you be getting the Bible? I would say that's not the right question. The right question is how much do you really want to grow? How much do you want to grow? And to back me up on this, there was a, a study done by the Center of Bible Engagement. I think it's about a decade ago now. They surveyed 40,000 people, 25 different countries, ages 8 to 80. So big sample size, very diverse sample size. And they were just trying to figure out how often people read their Bible, like what their Bible habits look like, uh, what books are they reading, that kind of stuff. But in the midst of that, they stumbled upon a discovery that they weren't even looking for. They, they asked some other demographic questions as well as questions about just people's lives and what they were facing and how they were doing spiritually, um, just how their walk with the Lord was going. And they found that people who engaged in Scripture only one time a week, right? You see the verse of the day on your phone and you, you hit it really quick. Or you come to church and the pastor says, open the Bible too. And that's, that's it. That's your one time a week. They, they found that those people saw very minimal life change, like, it didn't seem to do much for them Monday through Saturday. Then they looked at the people who engaged in Scripture twice a week, and it was the same thing, just very, you know, very minimal. They, the term that they used was insignificant level of impact on how they actually lived, like what their life looked like. Then they looked at the people who said that they engaged in Scripture three times a week, and they, there was a little bit of a heartbeat. There's a little bit of a bump. They saw a little bit of change. Something started to kind of move in a person when they would engage in scripture three times a week. But when you hit four, in fact, their study is called the law of four, something happens, right? Something changed. There was this huge spike in day-to-day growth and day-to-day real life impact. In fact, I wanna share with you some of the things the study found. Again, they're just surveying 40,000 people. Of the people who engaged in scripture at least four days a week, here's some of the stats that they found. Feeling lonely drops 30%. By reading the Bible, isn't that interesting? Anger issues decrease 32%. Bitterness in relationships down 40%. Alcoholism drops 75%. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant down 60%. Imagine that. Imagine that reading the word of God helps you not be spiritually stagnant. I mean, I'm laughing. we're laughing, but like I'll have people come to me and say, I just feel really far from God. I just feel like we're not connecting. I'm like, well, how often are you reading your Bible? Well, I try. I'm not, I'm not beating anybody up, by the way. I'm just saying it would make sense that you would feel a little spiritually dry, right? Distant from God if you're not getting into his word. Viewing pornography drops 61%. And then listen, here's some positive ones. Sharing your faith with another person increases 200%. If you read your Bible four times a week, it emboldens you, it gives you courage, it gives you the words. It, there's something that changes that you say, man, I gotta share this discipling others, pouring into other people spiritually, helping them grow, that increases 230%. All of this tied back to getting in the Bible at least four times a week. Life changes the goal, right? Growth is the goal, not just reading the Bible. 
And, and by the way, they found the same thing to be true of kids and teenagers. Um, this has been true for years. This isn't going to surprise you, but the, the two factors that are most indicative of whether a child is still following Jesus late into their 30s, 40s, and adult and beyond, the two biggest factors are their families made church attendance a priority. And the kids themselves read the Bible on their own. Like if you can instill just those two habits, it's not perfect. Kids have free will. Ask my wife, she had to get them here all today. Right? Thank you. But if you want to set them up, right, with habits, with a foundation that's going to at least give you the best chance, those are the two. So again, the question isn't, well, how often should I read my Bible? The question is, how much do I want to see change in my life? What would it look like for you to make this happen this fall? Right, school's about to start back up. Mornings are getting a little chillier. Pumpkin spice is back. <laughs> this is like a transitional, you know, season, right? What if you didn't wait till New Year's to set a goal? What if you didn't wait till January to say, okay, I bet Pastor Mike's gonna do a sermon about picking some goals for the year or picking a word and then I'll do it. What if now, what if you made a commitment to say, you know what, I'm gonna get into God's word more. I'm gonna get into scripture at least four times a week. It's not like we don't have options. It's not like we don't have more tools available to us than any generation ever. More translations, more apps, more websites and books. I mean, we have an abundance of riches when it comes to the Bible. The question is, do we have the hunger? Do we have the hunger for it? These people went back in the house after midnight, after a guy died, because they couldn't get enough of what Paul was sharing. Okay, it's 1050. I'm not gonna preach till midnight, all right? I'm not gonna preach till noon even. But maybe this is where it starts, just asking God to give you a hunger, right? To give you a hunger for his word and then make a commitment to say, okay, four days a week, I can do that. I can do that four days a week. All right, finish chapter 20. There's a little bit more of a travel log. I'm gonna skip over that. And then Paul gives his, Paul gives his farewell address to these people, and it's quite emotional. Um, it, it's quite um, moving. And so I'll let you read the whole thing. Please do. Maybe that's one of your four this week. But verses 18 through 24, I think, give us a great summary. He says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I have taught you publicly and from house to house. I declare to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now... Compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. That's not true. He does know what's going to happen to him there, because listen to the next verse. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Right? He's been warned, hey, if you go to Jerusalem, 
Other people have warned him. The Holy Spirit has warned him. But that's where he's headed. Here's why. Verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's what this road trip's been all about, hasn't it? At every stop, to do what the Lord had asked him to do, whether it was hard or easy, didn't matter, and to share the grace, the free gift of salvation that's made possible by Jesus with as many people as would listen to him, Jews, Greeks, everybody. And it's a pretty emotional goodbye, um, both for Paul and the people. If you read it there, there's tears, there's hugs. Um, they pray together to kind of like send him off from there. I don't know about you, but Paul's legacy is just personally challenging for me, both as a pastor and just as a follower of Jesus. As a pastor, um, there's a reason why First and Second Timothy are known as the pastoral epistles, the pastoral letters, and that's the text that most pastors have to really study and, and get trained in because and, and it lays out kind of the role of a pastor and how they're going to live and all of that. But then just as a follower of Jesus, I mean, I track back through this. this. This week, I found myself summarizing and just going back through the whole journey. And I just think, man, I want to be that dependent. Right? Most of our lives, we're taught to be independent. It's kind of the American way. I mean, our country's literally founded on independence, right? Which I'm grateful for on a political level. But the, the spiritual journey is different. You and I, we are told that like physically, we grow from a place of of dependence. We're dependent on mom and dad for everything, you know, and then hopefully one day we grow to a place of independence, like when we're 48 and can finally afford a house in Oregon, you know, <laughs> then we can finally move out of mom's basement, right? Everything is about moving from dependence to independence. Spiritually, it's the opposite. Maturity looks like moving from independence. I can do what I want. I got this. I don't need anybody or anything. I don't even need God. Spiritually, growth means moving from independence to dependence, where every day we wake up and go, I need you, God, and I'm leaning on you, and I'm trusting you, and I can't do this on my own. The more we get there, the, the deeper roots that we've grown, and man, Paul was dependent on God. Half the time, he literally didn't even know where he was going. Do you remember that? Do you remember the week where it said the Holy Spirit sent him here, but then blocked him, and then sent him here? Like, it literally had Paul going in circles. And I was like, what are you doing? And I think it takes me back to the desert. It takes me back to the Israelites where they had to just kind of wander and follow the fire and the smoke and stop, go, stop, go. We don't have any food. Oh, I guess we've got food. We got daily bread from heaven. That was how Paul did this whole trip and locked up with the Holy Spirit one day, one hour at a time, dependent on God. I wanna be that dependent. I want to go wherever he wants me to go. I, I want to preach whatever he wants me to preach, even if it offends people. Paul did that. Paul said hard stuff, right? He stepped on toes. I mean, right here in this passage, he's saying, you, you know I didn't hesitate to preach everything to you, including repentance. Like, hey, there's some stuff in your life you need to re repent from. Like, you got to leave that. That is not of the Lord. You need to get rid of that. You need to go my way. Remember all the idols that he confronted and said, hey, that's not real. That's why they hated him half the time. And yet, look at the end of the story. They're embracing him. 
They're hugging him. They're he said hard things to him and they've hugged him for it. Isn't that interesting? Am I living up to Paul's example? Not always. I'm human. Paul was human too, by the way. We looked at some stories where it was like, I don't know if he got that right. But man, I wanna be like Paul. I, that's not true. I wanna be like Jesus and I wanna serve Jesus like Paul. Is that the cry of your heart? I wanna be like Jesus, but I wanna serve like Paul. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm, uh, we come to the end of this, uh, this series and almost just like the send-off of these people with Paul, I'm almost a little sad. I've, just, I've had such a good time diving deeper into this section of scripture and, and following along with your servant, Paul. I've been so inspired by his example. I've been encouraged, challenged, equipped, uh, just, like, just like your word says, it's good for all of those things and more. Would the hunger not stop here, God? Would you give us a hunger for more of you, a hunger for your word? Help us to not wait until New Year's resolutions come around, Lord. Help us to just wanna dig in and grow. We need, that, we need that hunger even on the days where we look at it and say, ah, I don't really wanna do that today. I don't wanna open it up. I don't have time for that. I got more important things to do. Or I don't understand it. I don't know where to start. I mean, all of the excuses, all of the... The real obstacles sometimes that we come up with, Lord, would you help us to press through those? Trusting that we'll meet with you when we open the word, that you've got something for us every day. This is our daily bread, right? You, Jesus, you said that, we're, that, that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word of God. Help us to lean into it, to dig in. God, help us to move from a place of independence to dependence where we just trust in you for everything. All the growth that we wanna see happen in our life, all of that comes from you. It doesn't come from us trying to do it on our own. It doesn't come from us working harder at it. They are fruits of the spirit as we're gonna talk about. They are things that happen when we stay in the vine, abiding, resting in you that you produce in us. So help us to draw close each and every day. We pray this in your name, amen.